0: Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, this morning you want to pray, first of all, for Hill Country Bible Church in Dripping Springs, Texas. Uh, praying for Jeff Collins, uh, one of our first pastors here years ago. Just praying for his sermon as he preaches this morning, Lord, that you will use him. Uh, we pray for Hill Country Bible, that they will be blessed, that they will be equipped, uh, that they'll be stirred. Uh, they'll be encouraged. To pray that they would uh, behold you uh, this morning. Pray for Jeff and Darcy as they walk with uh, the church and walk with their with each other and with their family. That you would bless them in Dripping Springs and thankful for the chance to lift up another people this morning. Um, down the road, Lord. Also this morning, we want to pray for a people group praying for the Brahmin people of India, uh, fifty-eight million people, ninety-nine point zero nine of which are Hindu, zero point zero zero percent of which are Christians. And you know that we ask for them this morning Lord we beg for them we beg for their souls we beg for um, folks to be stirred to be uh, burdened Uh, we pray for folks to uh, have a desire to go to the far corners to leave the the comforts of of home and to be willing to take your good word and your good message to places where and to people that don't know you Lord, we pray that that uh, burden that you place on people's hearts uh, would couple with uh, folks being um, stirred there in India uh, with questions and dreams and visions and a desire to know their creator, um, and, uh, an uneasiness with Hindu. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would create that or work that out for your own glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, too, this morning we want to pray for Trevor, uh, just uh, and for his family, uh, we um are just praying that you bless their family in these next, uh, in these next few hours uh, as they finish out a weekend together away. I pray that they are really, really enjoying some really sweet time together. Uh, we are entrusting the family to you, asking you to, uh, to give us wisdom in how to be brothers and sisters and, and friends and family with them in these next uh, coming weeks. Um, lastly, Lord, I want to just uh, pray for uh, my brother Scott family and uh, for the Sutton's. Uh, We are uh, so thankful for the many years, the many memories, uh, the sweet work that we've had together for so long. Lord, we entrust this family to you uh, as they transition to a new chapter. Uh, We are thankful, Lord. Uh, We pray that you would bless them. We know that they are walking in your way, and we pray that you would guide them into your perfect will for what you have in store for them. Uh, thankful for this time that we have together this morning. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Trevor, can you turn those lights down for me a little bit, the sanctuary lights? Turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. We're in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I've often thought about what happens on Sunday mornings. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that we do, not just Sunday mornings, but every time we gather. Um, I've thought about what, what sales must be like, you know, for people that are selling a product. and Are they some sort of service provision, you know, you're, you have some service that you're giving, some product that you're delivering, and what we do as a people is different. Uh, there's no real, we're not handing you something each week as, as you leave. You might have a bulletin, but you don't really have some gadget or something that you can take home and, and use in the kitchen or something like that. It's, it's, it's a very different experience that we venture into every single week when we gather, and I was thinking in many ways what we're dealing with is ideas and truths and thoughts, I mean, we're even talking about each week um, someone that was, uh, some someone that's ancient, someone that you've never met, someone we believe is alive and very much uh, well. Um, we we believe in a God that we can't see, so we have something that we're we're dealing with here that I think is more along the lines of ideas and truths. And I thought, you know, just kind of thinking about what uh, what Google might have to say about something like that. I mean, Google is interesting. It's kind of, what, is, what does the rest of the world have to say? You know, you don't want to bank a lot of um, substance in what you Google. But the first thing that came up, I Googled this question, how truths connect to real life. I was just curious what Google would say. And the first thing that came up was a web page that had 17 un- universal truths we all share. And identifying and understanding these things, this webpage said would be a life hack. You've heard that term before, a life hack. I thought, okay, let's read this. And I'm, I mean, I'm not going to spend more than about three minutes on this, if that. Because it's not uh, truth-based that I would say, it, uh, timeless truth. It's sort of uh, opinionate, uh, opinion-based. But some of the things that universal truths that we share are parents and upbringing, stress. you got to deal with stress. Uh, that we're born equal and leave equal. You know, uh, something that we, we, we all want love and acceptance And there's little commentary on each of these. So I I wouldn't encourage you unless you're just really bored to go look this this page up. I guess you could if you search that Google. But excuse me, three of them really stood out to me, four of them possibly, that had to do with thoughts and truths and ideas. And here's one. Thoughts can create heaven or hell under the exact same circumstances. So folks that aren't even connected to what we would call timeless truth of God's word and God's gospel are saying that that, uh, the way you think can impact your circumstances, how you deal with your circumstances. The next one sort of deals with the same thing. We do not experience reality directly, but it presented this idea we deal with reality through filters of how we interpret those circumstances. So those two are really closely linked. The next one is just sort of strange. uh, You could read it if you want. Congruency adds to contentment and peace of mind that what you think about yourself is congruent with who you actually are. It's kind of weird. But it had to do with kind of thoughts. And here's the fourth one. True fulfillment comes from thinking beyond yourself. I'm like, okay, this kind of gives me some thought that we're not weird. We're not Martians if we have this idea that we're connecting together to enjoy some truths and some things that will shape the way we view the world and the way we understand the world. And in doing so, we might actually, too, experience a life hack. So connecting it to where we were going this week, to where we go every week, to the story of Christ, I thought, you know, is there something beyond us or someone other than us that's so important that knowing this person and knowing about this person can actually be a life hack for us? I mean, it's a good question. It might be the question you might entertain with somebody at Starbucks. It might be the question that some of you are bringing here this morning. Or maybe you're thinking, okay, I've never really thought about that. It's a good question. Here's another way to kind of develop that. Is there something or someone so significant that their very existence gives your meaning or your existence meaning? Hmm. Man, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. So let's climb into God's word this morning and see if we can find a scriptural answer to that question, we're going to climb into Matthew chapter five, the greatest sermon ever recorded. We spent a few months in the sort of the introductory section there, called the Beatitudes, and then a transitional passage uh, in verses thirteen through sixteen. This morning we'll be spending a few minutes in chapter uh, five, verses seventeen and eighteen, and next week we'll finish out that thought in nineteen and twenty. So we're in seventeen and eighteen. Let me give you kind of a map for the morning. I'm going to read our passage. We're going to sort of unpack the luggage that's in this passage. and I'll, um, Basically, what we're going to be doing is we're going to look at looking at some interesting terms that might be unfamiliar. We're going to be looking at uh, some important words, and I'll, I'll guide you to those in a moment. And then we're going to be spending the rest of the morning on one really central, important word. So maybe as I read this passage, you can kind of wonder, what is that important word? So be thinking about that as we read. Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, let me give you a little bit of context before we Unpack this. Uh, This Sermon on the Mount is three chapters long. It's a pretty long sermon. Okay, about as long as what we might go through in the next few minutes. You know, okay, something like that. But if you just read it, I don't know how much time it would take. But it's it's a sizable sermon. The verses 17 through 20 are like the thesis statement. Now, we have some English teachers in here. I know we have lots of people that have been in English classes. You know that thesis statement is really important to making sense of the rest of a a paper. And in this case, we're talking a sermon. So that's why this morning I brought my vitamin water. And I'm going to give you a heads up that we're about to do some serious work. Okay, I'm just preparing you. This is a manwich. I told Kyle louder this morning, this is a manwich. Do you remember what a manwich is? That's like a sloppy joe that's like really big. They used to have them back in the day in commercials back when I watched TV. Yeah, manwich. Okay, so this can be a manwich. Uh, now, let me also give you a little heads up about, uh, that might give some texture and context to this. Jesus' teaching was perceived as being lax in regards to the law. Okay, they thought he's, he's lightening the load or lowering the bar on things like the Sabbath and on cleansing rituals and things like that that was a big criticism of Jesus so in some ways it seems as if he's addressing those concerns by speaking to the law and the prophets okay maybe speaking to their concerns okay so let's let me just begin with these terms i told you we we're going to deal with a couple different terms that might be unfamiliar then we're going to deal with some, with some important words but first of all the terms law and prophets it's not a, a phrase that we use commonly from day to day, but this is a phrase that would have been very common in the ancient context, in their time. Okay? The law and prophets in some ways would be sort of shorthand for all the holy writings, writings leading up to that point. The law in the strict sense would sort of apply to what was called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Okay? And then the prophets would be the minor and major prophets. They're not minor and major because some were little bitty and some were big. Uh, but they're kind of smaller in the, the scope of the, the Bible. And then others are really big, like Jeremiah and Isaiah. And there's little wee ones like Micah and those like that. That's why they're major and minor prophets. Now, there are other parts of the Bible that aren't mentioned, like the Chronicles. Okay, the wisdom literature, that's not really mentioned. This is sort of shorthand for all the Bible up to this point. And what you could say is this is shorthand for all the story of Israel up to this point. Okay? The law and the prophets, in some ways, is shorthand for the story of the creation of the world and the creation of a people called Israel, God's covenant people. Okay, now here's what's something that's really cool. Now, later on, I'll just give you a heads up, too. Later on in the paragraph there, it's referred to as just the law, which is just even shorter shorthand for law and prophets. Okay, so he's not saying something different than the law and the prophets when he says law later. He's still talking about, basically, the story of Israel up to that point. Now here's something that's really cool that I want to just kind of plant this little seed. Listen to this passage from Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Okay, now the reason I just take a moment to read that when we're just talking about some terms and trying to acquaint you with some terms is I want you to think about the fact right off the bat is that this law and prophets thing is not some sort of inanimate Dead words. okay. Somehow some sort of living thing that is actually doing something. And in this case, Jesus is saying prophesying. okay, Like present tense. This law and the prophets, this story of Israel is somehow telling another story. It's somehow prophesying to something in an ongoing way. Okay, We're going to develop that over the course of the morning, but it's just a nice little seed thought. Okay, here's another unfamiliar term, iota or dot. Okay, you might read that and go, what in the world is that? In the King James Version, it might be a more familiar phrase, a jot or tittle was the term. Not a jot or tittle will pass away. Now, in Hebrew, when you're writing Hebrew, if you've ever seen Hebrew written, there are little tiny little sweeps and movements made here and there that actually are the difference between one word and another. Okay, it's not like... um, Mandarin or something like that. Those are you can tell a whole sentence, I guess, with a tiny little figure. Okay, it, 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 they are words and they and they read backwards. But they have, or the sentences read backwards. But just even the tiniest little stroke or dot actually gives meaning to the word. So he's saying here, there's not a single dot of this law and prophets that's going to pass away. Okay, I'm going to develop that more in a moment. But that's just sort of giving you a sense that even the smallest marks in Hebrew will be. Fulfilled, okay? Now, some important words. The words abolish and fulfill are really important in this passage. Okay, I'll read the passage again or just a portion of it just so you can see because this is really important to keep in front of us. Again, we're in chapter 5, looking at verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. Now, look what he says in the next sentence. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Okay, these two words are set like against one another, abolish and fulfill. All right, it's worth taking just a few minutes to sort of make sense of those words. We're going to spend uh, quite a a sizable time on the latter word, but let's spend just a moment on abolish. When I hear the word abolish, my mind immediately goes to thinking about the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, 1863. I had to look up the date. I've been a long time since my history class, but the abolition of slavery. Okay, we can think about that word as doing away with something, ending something, closing the door on something completely. Okay? He says, I haven't come to, or you might also say, calling something null and void. Okay, this is over, this is, you might even identify it as wrong in that case, abolishing, to end or do away with. So Jesus said, do not think I've come to abolish, to do away with, to call null and void the law or the prophets. I haven't come to call the story of Israel null and void and ending. I haven't come to abolish that story. I haven't come to do away with all the ancient writings. I haven't come to end what it means to be a Jew. Okay. Abolish, in some ways you can look at this word and and, and understand that it means what we think it means. And Jesus says, I haven't come to do that with the story of Israel. Okay? Instead, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill the law and prophets. I've come to fulfill the story of Israel. It means much more than just keeping it going, it means something more, something more substantial than just continuing. Okay? Fulfill is where we're going to spend the majority of our morning. Okay? And there's two untils in this passage. The two untils, let's see where they are again. In verse 17, um, in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot, a jot or a tittle, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so those two really important untils. The first until is until heaven and earth pass away. That's the end of the age when Christ returns. That's what that, that phrase is referring to. Okay, the other until, it says, until all is accomplished, every word, every dot and iota, every jot and tittle shall shall stand until all is accomplished, also at the end of the age. Okay, now, let me piece this together for you. This is just kind of a summary piece. We still have kind of disassembled this stuff, we've laid it out on the floor, so let me kind of piece it together in one thought. Piecing it together, the law and the prophets, the jot and the tittle, the untils. Okay, here's what we can carry away so far. We're about to get to what we're going to be getting at this morning. But this, we're not quite there. This is just something that's just too good to pass up. This story, the story of Israel, the law and the prophets is moving forward. Present tense. We're still in the story. Jesus is saying, I didn't stop that thing. In some ways, we can enjoy this morning that we're still in this story that he's referring to. It's still unfolding. It's moving forward. It's never stalled. The story that he put into motion and that he's keeping in motion is never forgotten. Whatever circumstances you think you might be going through, this thing's still moving forward. Whatever circumstances you are going through, however difficult they might be, however easy they may be, however wonderful they may be, however hard they may be, this story moves and marches forward. And we're part of it. Man, let's just enjoy before we really climb into this that this is really a sweet thought. The problem in the days of Zechariah, Zach- uh, you remember what the nation of Israel was guilty of in the day, or Judah specifically was guilty of the day, days, days of Zechariah? They thought their days were small. They thought their days were meaningless and unimportant. But this story was moving forward. I remember watching Westerns when I was a kid, watching the, you know, in every saloon they had a player piano. You've probably seen some of these player pianos in real life if you've gone into a general store or someplace like that. You know what a player piano, it's got this this piece of weird looking paper that has all these marks and holes in it. And as this thing is feeding through, it's blinking away, you know, it's never pretty, but it's. Interesting at least. But I'm thinking about this story, this kingdom story is moving through this player piano and every jot and every tittle, every iota and every dot, every note will continue to be played. And when Paul says in Ephesians 4 that the days are evil, I think the point he's making there is that time doesn't care whether you're connected to this story or not. It's going to march on. It's fleeting. It's continuing on. But So for us this morning, for us to connect that this story is unfolding, these little jots, these little iotas, these little dots, every note is playing, and that we're part of that story, man, we're pushing away the evil of the days and saying, we're going to be attentive. We're going to be in it. We're going to pay attention to this thing that Jesus says he didn't do away with. He did not abolish, but is actually continuing. All right, so here's the central question of the morning. That was just a nugget. It's just, a, just an important nugget. It's kind of a galvanizing nugget. Ooh, we're in something that's ongoing real right now. Okay, all right, that's kind of cool. All right, here's the central question of the morning. In what way did Jesus fulfill the law or the prophets? We need to know that. We just want i mean, we want to take his word for it. In what way? He's making a point here. We want to spend the morning trying to figure out how might this be a life hack for those of us who live on the other side of the world geographically and live by 2,000 years of separation chronologically. How might his fulfillment of the law and prophets actually connect to us in a way that's a real life hack? All right, we're going to climb into that in this next few minutes. Okay, first of all, we're going to spend a few minutes just considering the word fulfill. And then we're going to unpack some ways in which Jesus fulfilled the law and prophets. First of all, the word fulfill is used in Matthew more than anywhere else in our Bible. Combined. If somebody wants to say, hey, man, what's the book of Matthew about? Well, it's about Jesus. Okay, what else else is it about? The word fulfillment. Matthew is about Fulfillment. This is a profound word. Okay? Uh, the definition of the word in Greek actually means to make full or to complete, okay, or to fill up. Jesus came, you could say, to complete the story of Israel. To fulfill, it's redundant. Uh, to fill up the story of Israel, might be a good way to put it. Okay, in some ways, we could add this thought to that concept, in some ways just add this thought that fulfill means to be that to which the other parts pointed. I'm gonna use that phrase over and over again this morning. To be that to which the other parts pointed. All right? Okay, we got one other passage, a little satellite. I don't have a ton of satellites for you to turn to this morning, but this is one I'd like for you to turn to. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Verse 1, we're going to make sense of this word and this concept, fulfill. Uh, Word studies are cool, but you really need to think about context. You need to think about what is actually being communicated there. And this little window in Romans chapter 10 is a window into something that's a little bigger than just filling something up. Okay? Romans chapter 10, drink your vitamin water if you need it. Take a little break, regroup, stand up if you need to. Shake it out. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Listen to this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, he's speaking of the Jews, is that they may be saved. Okay, it's a profound chapter, right? And right in front of it, talking about uh, Israel. Okay, that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Listen to this next passage. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law is getting at this same concept of Christ fulfilling the law and prophets. Now what's interesting about that word... Okay, the end of the law in Greek is the word telos. Philosophers know what the word telos means. It means end, but it also means purpose. The study of purpose is the teleography, I guess would be the word. That's the word there. Christ is the purpose of the law. So we could add in, if we're going to say, okay, uh, to fulfill something is to be that to which the others, other parts pointed. We could add from this little window over here in Romans chapter 10 that fulfill is to be the purpose for which those things, those pronouncements, those teachings, those commands, and those narratives even happened. Realize the massive statement that we're making. Realize the massive statement that Jesus is making. He's saying, I'm the purpose of all those things, the law and the prophets. I'm the purpose of the story of Israel up till now. I'm the part that I'm what those parts pointed to. This is a massive, massive statement. This is where we're like, man, we are going to spend a morning on this. This is profoundly wonderful. Jesus is saying, I am that to which are the one to whom... The other part's pointed. I am the purpose for which those things happened. Oh. All right, I'm kind of excited about it because I know where this is going in the next few minutes. So we're just going to spend a few minutes looking at some ways in which Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. If you're in Matthew or if you're not in Matthew, just turn right back over to Matthew. If you're in there, you're, if you're already there, you're good. Okay, here's the first way in which Jesus fulfilled the law and prophets. He fulfilled predictions. Okay, at first blush, you're like, okay, well, is that really a life hack? Well, it may not be a life hack for us right now. It might just be kind of nifty. I think it's more than that, but it's at least really nifty. (laughs) All right, here's some examples. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill. Hmm, There it is, Matthew, or using his word, his common word. All this took place. What's this? How Christ was born. How the story of his birth unfolded. Now, the whole story's not told there. But some of it's told up to this point. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That was predicted by the prophet Isaiah. Christ fulfilled what the prophet said. Okay, interesting. Here's another one. Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. In Bethlehem of Judea, you know, the wise men, the magi come and they, seek, they want to see this king. They're following this star. So they come to Herod and they're like, hey, can you tell us where this king is born? And he gathers his, his, uh, his guys together and, his, and they say, well, he asked them, well, where is the, where's he supposed to be born? Well, turn to Micah. You don't have to turn there, but he may have told them. Well, Herod, let's turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And that tells us he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And guess what? He's born in Bethlehem. He's fulfilling the predictions. Okay. Here's more. Matthew chapter 2 verses 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. The voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation. Okay, Rachel weeping for her children. That's pointing to the travail of what's going to happen in Bethlehem when Herod's killing all the firstborn. Okay, that's predicted way back there and the events actually unfold. Earlier events predicted the travail of Bethlehem when Herod sought to kill the boys. Okay, here's another. Matthew chapter 2 verse 23. And he went to live in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. There it is again. That he would be called a Nazarene. Man, it's one right after another. This is predictive at the very least. It could be. You could almost wonder, is it determinative? Here's a really good one. Listen to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Don't turn there, just listen. And I want you to think for a moment about about where Jesus is as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know what mount he's standing on, but just see him standing on a mount. See him standing on a mount speaking, God the Son speaking. And then listen to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That is predictive, and it's being fulfilled in the person of Christ as he's standing on a mount just like Moses did, (laughs) and then speaking on that mount just like God did. It's fulfilling. Predictions over the course of that 1,500 years between that Deuteronomy prediction... In the time of Christ, the Jews are looking for when's this king going to show up? When's this prophet like Moses going to show up and speak to us from a mount? And there he is, fulfilling predictions. Hmm. Interesting, nifty. It's more than nifty, but let's at least start right there. Secondly, he fulfills the law. Judicially, and I'll use this term. And Brent, Money, or some of the other folks in here that are legal, Elisha, you guys can correct me later if I'm wrong. He fills the law forensically. He fulfills the law forensically. I know for sure. I know that. I know judicial is the right word, but I like forensically better. He lived the life that we couldn't and didn't live. He lived the life that Adam and Eve couldn't live on day one with two laws. Enjoy this garden, take and eat anything and everything you want to eat. And oh, by the way, the second law, don't eat from that tree. He, the second Adam, did what the first Adam couldn't. This particular Adam did what none of us could do. He fulfilled every part of the law, judicially And forensically. Not failing in any part of it. He obeyed where Israel and Adam and Eve and mankind, and insert your name in there, couldn't and didn't. He fulfilled it and obeyed it. In Luke chapter 23, verse 4, when Pilate said these words, he was right. Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. Amen? Right, I don't either, because he did what no other Adam could do. He absolutely fulfilled the law, judicially and forensically. Third, he fulfilled the word. All right, there's a part of the sermon that's going to be a little challenging for you to follow. It's going to be this next part, but I want you to work at it, because I have a strong encouragement embedded within it for you. I think it's going to be an encouragement to you. Okay, here it is, Matthew chapter 24. Actually, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 9. As you turn to 1 Corinthians 9, and I only have, okay, I have like three, two more points. He fulfilled the word, and he fulfilled traject- trajectories and shadows. So we don't have a ton of sermon left. I'm going kind to of, give you a sense of how much run we have left. Okay, we're going on 10K, 6.2 miles, 6.2, yeah. 6.2 miles, it's been a long time since I run 10K. We're like at mile four right now. Four and a half. John, we're at mile four and a half. We're close. We're almost to the home stretch. Okay, so let's climb into this. Really, this is this is maybe an uphill section of the course. Okay? <laughs> Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. And while you're in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll read this passage. Heaven and earth, Jesus says, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I want you to notice what he did there. In the same book that he's speaking and preaching the Sermon on the Mount over here in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 24, he uses the same language that's used over there. Heaven and earth will pass away before this law is fulfilled. Every jot, every iota, every dot, every tittle, every part of it will be fulfilled. He uses the same language over here, but he replaces law and prophets with what? My words. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but... My words will not pass away. You wonder why they want to nail him to a cross? You wonder why a bunch of Jews want to nail him to the cross? Because he's saying the law and prophets he's replacing with his, my own words? What? Where's a hammer? You can at least understand why he was so shocking. What he's saying in that is that his very words become a fulfillment of the law and prophets. And they last, interestingly enough, in this case, even beyond heaven and earth. All right, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 21, let me show you a little window into this follow what's going on here. Paul's speaking to the Corinthians. He says, for though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, to Jews. That's who he's speaking of. I become as one under the law. And then in parentheses, though not being myself under the law at all. To a Jew, I become under the law, though, guess what? I'm not really under the law at all. Look what he says next. That I might win those under the law. Okay? His goal is evangelism here. Look what he says next. To those outside the law, those would be the Gentiles. I become as one outside the law, and then parentheses, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Huh that I might win those outside the law. What's happening here is crazy. This Jew among Jews, this guy that went to the Harvard of Judaism, studied under Gamaliel, Paul is replacing the law of Moses with the law of Christ. Christ. Man, it's crazy. Stuff is going on in this ancient time. And here we sit 2,000 years later. We can miss it. This is a shocking, profound statement. The law of God, the law of Moses, became the law of Christ. Paul says, I'm no longer under the law of God slash law of Moses, but very much under the law of Christ. Man, this is huge. What's happened here is he's implying that the fiber and the DNA of the Old Testament law has matured into and ripened into and been fulfilled into the law of Christ. It's crazy what's developed here. At this point, I'm like, man, I'm imagining sitting out there in the, in the seats right now, and maybe you read ahead like i sent out that kind of that prep for sunday email maybe you did that and you're like ah oh, man i did that but i'm still kind of not really seeing the point here and what what what's he seems pretty emphatic <laughs> what's going on here am i really getting this cuz it seems really urgent let me help you with something the book of galatians develops this nicely in the book of galatians i need to drink a vitamin water hold on The book of Galatians. Written to a bunch of Gentiles, by the way. A bunch of Gentiles. A bunch of pagan, ancient Gentiles. Paul talks about the law all over the place. 32 references to the law. Paul is talking to ancient pagans About this ancient law. This law of Moses. This law of God that they use as shorthand. And then later on toward the end of the whole book. He's talking about how that has been fulfilled in Christ. It's a wonderful book if you read it that way. And then what he says in chapter 6 verse 2. He says bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a profound shift. He's been talking about the law over here. And now he says You're not under this thing anymore. Instead, bear one another's burdens because you're under the law of Christ. Christ fulfilled the law in the sense that it matured into a law that we can identify as Christ's law. There's maturation, there's absorption, there's fulfillment, there's purpose, telos, in Christ. So much so that we are now under The law of Christ. It is a profound, important point. And here's the thing I want to say to you, to be maybe an encouragement to you. I realize that my sermons can be really heavy. I prepare them. I know how many pages they are. I know how I labor over them. I know how long they last, too. I I have a watch. I have people tell me, man, that was a two-CD sermon. That's happened before. Like it did, couldn't even put it all on one CD back in Hebrews. I probably would never, I hope I never do that again. But I did it. And I know my sermons are are sizable. And they're like, ah, so much there. What do I do with all this? And I completely get that. But let me just encourage you with this notion Paul is speaking to ancient pagans, most of which could not even read. And he's expecting more of them than we often expect in a contemporary context in the church where we can all read, we all have a copy, but we're trying to get out of here so we can beat everybody to Taco Bell. Now, I know that's not y'all, but I feel that inner voice. It's got to be quippy and easy and funny and light. People don't want something heavy. But what's Paul equipping the church in Galatia with? A bunch of pagan Gentiles? Law, law, law. You're not under this. You're not under this. You're not under this. You're under this, the law of Christ. He fulfilled it. He's using verbiage and language that says to me either they're more sophisticated than we give them credit or we're less. That's substantial. That's a substantial point. My encouragement to you in that is, man, hopefully, hopefully this one encouragement. I'll, I'll get to it later, but I'm, I'm going to save it for later at the end. Let's just look at this next thing, the way he fulfills in trajectory and shadow and type. Okay, you can just sit back and listen to this portion. Some, some stories that will be familiar to you. Okay, the first story that hopefully is familiar to you is the story of Passover. Hopefully you've read your Old Testament. You've spent some time over there, those ancient stories. and You realize that there's something profound going on there. You've read those stories, the story of Passover, the story of the plagues. You know, uh, Moses is told to go back to Egypt and lead those people out of Egypt. So there's a series of plagues that unfold, and they're gruesome. Frogs in your beds. I mean, that's nasty. Unless you're like a Cajun and you eat frog legs, you're bumming. I like frog legs, but I don't want them in my bed. Not whole frogs, slimy. Flies, gnats, hail so big that it's crushing your livestock. A darkness that could be felt. Man, this is gruesome. And the last one, they, 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 they sort of get worse and worse. And then the last one is the Passover. You've probably heard of the Passover as a Jewish holiday, Jewish celebration. It is. It's a Jewish holiday in celebration of what happened on that dark night. And it was gruesome. God told him, he said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go get an unblemished lamb. Not a buck tooth lamb. Not a three-legged lamb. Not a one-legged lamb. Peg, we call him. Not a one-eyed lamb. Go get a good, fine, unblemished lamb. And you sacrifice that dude. Actually, you keep him at home for a while probably named him, you know, you petting him, name him, and then you sacrifice him, okay? And if you can't afford it, then you go over to your buddy's house because you need to be behind doors for what's about to go down. And then you let that blood pour out of that animal. You take some of that blood and you slather up with a hyssop branch and you slather the doorposts with that blood and you put some on the lentils even. That's what that upper part. And then you roast that thing. You roast that lamb. You don't put herbs on it. Oh, by the way, you want to gird up your loins. You want to pick up your skirt, whatever it is, your dress, your robe. I guess a robe manly. You pull it up and you tuck it in your belt. You got your staff in hand. You got your fork in the other hand. You're eating that joker. And you eat all of it, he says. Eat all of it. You're going to need it. And guess what's happening in the meantime? God is passing over Egypt, taking the firstborn in every Egyptian home. And every home that didn't follow the instructions. Every home that wasn't behind blood-slathered doors. Every home where people weren't imbibing on this unblemished, roasted lamb. Makes me think about the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was 1981. I looked it up this morning. June of 1981. So it was the summer after my freshman year in high school. And I remember the Raiders of the Lost Ark. When they open the ark, you remember that? And and uh, Indy's tied to a post, and he's got Miriam tied to a post behind him. And they're they're opening the ark, and you know, it's like a, a Nazi guy opening he's, yeah, open it up, you know. They open it up and it's just sand, they pick up, it's just sand, and and then this thing comes out of there. Dude, have y'all seen this? Am I the only one that's seen this? Man, I had nightmares. <laughs> It scared the ever living out of me. I was a freshman in high school. I'm not talking, I wasn't even a little kid. I've imagined over the years what that night must have been like in Egypt where God passed over here overhead and you hear the shrieks of Egypt and you hear the wind, the movement of him passing over. But if you followed his instructions and you're eating that unblemished lamb, and your doorposts and lentils are slathered, and then judgment passes over. It's no accident that Jesus was arrested at Passover. It's not coincidence that he was slaughtered at Passover. It's not just happenstance when he sat with his disciples on that night and said, this thing that you've been doing for 1,500 years that you call the Passover celebration, now do this thing remembering me. I fulfill it. Those are the parts that pointed to me. Man, what a treat we have every single week to celebrate this meal. When we are enjoying that we are behind blood-slathered doors. That judgment is passing over. (sighs) What a beautiful, wonderful picture of a story. This thing that's pointed toward Christ. The Passover. The Day of Atonement was another The day of atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. If you'd like to go back and read the Exodus, it's in Exodus chapter 12 of the Passover. Leviticus chapter 16 was the day of atonement. These instructions were given shortly after Aaron's sons became an offering because they went freestyle in worship. Aaron's sons were priests as well. And they went freestyle with their worship. They weren't going by the prescribed way. And they offered strange fire, it says, and they actually were consumed by it. They became an offering. So here Aaron, the dad, is given instructions to where it must have been right here. The sins of Israel and the sins of the priests must have been right here in front of them. And as they are going, what happened to Aaron's sons? God says, okay, I got a prescription for you. We're going to have this thing called the Day of Atonement. And Aaron, I want you to take a ram and a bull and two goats. And I want you to go to the tabernacle. So Aaron heads off with his herd, basically. He's got a little strip all around him, you know. He takes the, lamb, the, the bull and the ram and he sacrifices them for his own sins. So that he can be cleansed enough to go into the Holy of Holies. And then he goes into the Holy of Holies and he slaughters one of those rams. Placing the sins of Israel on the head of that lamb. Then he takes the other lamb, what we might call a scapegoat, not a lamb, a goat. He places his hands on the head of that animal and he prays over that animal that the sins of Israel will be placed on that animal. They send that Lead that animal out into the desert to die. What a beautiful picture of what we have in Christ. Hebrews spends some time unpacking this reality of the day of atonement. It has some things to say about the day of atonement. Just consider this passage in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. If you showed up for the day of atonement, that's an important day because at least once a year your sins are atoned for, but you're standing there next to Jacob and Sarah and you can turn to one another and say, okay, I'll see you next year. Same time, same place. Because our sins are mounting up. They're adding up. And Aaron, whoever replaces him, is going to have to provide for his own sins and offer some sacrifices for his own sins. See you next year. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Every priest stands daily at his sacrifice, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never truly take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down like a boss. At the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool under his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Glory. The day of atonement that they celebrated for 1,500 years in Christ became not the week of atonement. Not the month of atonement. That'd be nice. When, okay, we covered for a month. Not the year of atonement. Not the decade of atonement. But the life of atonement. He's both the lamb that was slaughtered, placing his own hands on his head, and he's the lamb that's led off into the wilderness. He's both. Man, what these stories fulfilled in him just add whole new meanings. Those are the parts to which He's fulfilled. Those parts pointed to him. You heard the story of the serpent in the wilderness? The serpents? The nation of Israel was complaining and grumbling like a bunch of big babies. It must have been hard, admittedly. I'm kind of getting tired of the menu. Pretty limited. I mean, You can only do so much with manna. I like quail, but I'm not sure I like it every day. I mean, I... I could be prone to grumbling, I bet. And here they are grumbling and God sends fiery serpents. Now, I don't know if they were like actually on fire. That'd be crazy. Or if they're red. I bet they're really bright red. These fiery serpents. And these fiery serpents, they come out and they bite all the Israelites. And they're all dying. And God says, okay, I'm not going to remove the snakes. But I'm going to make a way for you to live. Moses, take a serpent and make him a bronze serpent and put him up on a pole. And whoever looks to this serpent will live. Man, Jesus says in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. See, that thing points to me. So the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, it says after that that he gave his only begotten son to be nailed on a tree so that whoever looks to him may live. Amen? Amen. Ah. Wow. Yes, I get it. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. We could spend time talking about the priest. We and that Jesus, once and for all time, makes an offering and then sits down. Mm, he's fulfilled, offering the final sacrifice. Once and for all time. We could talk about the Sabbath. A very developed teaching in our old law and prophets. Hebrews 4 develops the reality that we don't have to celebrate. Or we don't have to honor some special day anymore. It's not about Saturday. We can't walk a certain number of steps. We can't do a number of things. What Hebrews chapter 4 says is. Jesus is now our Sabbath rest. It's not about a day. It's become about A person that we rest in. Man, he's fulfilled these things. The temple is the last one I'll mention. The temple you should define as, instead of imagining some brick and mortar, big monstrosity, beautiful, could be. Think of the temple as this, the meeting place between God and man. Man, I know this has been a doozy, y'all, but I want you to hear this. Think of the temple as a meeting place between God and man. The first temple in our Bibles was a place called Eden. The second temple that I can see in our Bibles was a place called Bethel, where Jacob said, man, surely God is here. A place where God and man met. The next temple was actually called a tabernacle. It was a mobile temple. The next temple was the first temple. And the next temple was the second temple, later called Herod's temple and later destroyed. And Jesus said this about this temple. In John chapter 2, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it again. He's not talking about this brick and mortar thing. He's talking about himself. He fulfills all those parts. All those parts point. To him, he is now our dwelling place. It says later that after he rose again, the disciples remembered the scriptures and realized he was talking about his own body. Right? That's glorious. He's the ultimate meeting place between God and sinners. Am I right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you. He's the ultimate meeting place between God and sinners. He is our temple. man. Jesus is our sacrifice. Let's just gather these things up. He's our sacrifice. Jesus is our lamb, our unblemished lamb. Jesus is our scapegoat, both slaughtered and led into the wilderness. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our high priest, who's seated, by the way. And Jesus is our temple, our meeting place between God and sinners. And 2 Corinthians 1 says that The promises of God find their yes in him. Man, yes and yes, yes. You need a sacrifice? Jesus is your sacrifice. You need a high priest? He's your priest. You need a lamb? He's your lamb. You need a temple? He's your temple. I just have one encouragement for y'all, really. I think there's a great case here for not really getting Jesus apart from understanding what he fulfills. I think there's a case that can be made here for not getting Jesus unless you take some time to make sense of what he didn't abolish. Another way to say it. If this thing still speaks, if you have no view of the law and the prophets, you're not going to get what's being fulfilled. Paul, even to the Roman church, said... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness, present tense, to it. Present tense. This is a hugely important role for the law and prophets. There's a continuity as it's fulfilled as a living witness. This is why we don't throw our Old Testaments away. That's why we don't just relegate it to some stories, moral stories. That's why we claw after it, trying to excavate it, trying to make sense of it, trying to look for our Lord in it. That's why, if you haven't ventured into this this year, if you've never ventured into this before, please, I'm begging you to start a daily Bible reading plan. Like, please, it's not just dead words, it's a living witness. It prophesies, present tense. It bears witness, present tense. I'm following the machine reading guide. And if I fall behind, then I try and catch up. If I don't, then I just move on to the next day. You don't have to be a Pharisee about it. But please read your Bibles. If you want some, man, this sermon didn't seem very practical. Yes, it is. Read your Bible. Read the law and the prophets because it points to him. He fulfills it. I don't know that you can make sense of him apart from it. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said of these Sadducees and Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness, present tense, about me. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he found a couple guys walking on the road to Emmaus. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Lord, have mercy. Please, please continue speaking to us through these pages. May we have the gumption in year 2020 and the decade that's in front of us to continue to claw after it, excavate it, search it. Experience and enjoying this Christ that fulfilled all of it. Man, my encouragement to you in this sermon is this thought. It was good enough for Gentile churches and ancient pagan people. Their sermons weren't populated with funny stories or anecdotes or emails, their sermons were filled with substance. There are families in this church that are going through some of the most gruesome, difficult times that you will ever experience in anyone's life. They don't need a tic-tac. They don't need a snack. They need Jesus. And you may or may not be going through that kind of time right now, but chances are you will go through something really hard. You will need to know where you can find an experience of Jesus that you know well because you've enjoyed him in the law and prophets. These stories are populated. These narratives, these stories, these references to the law and the prophets, they are how we enjoy our Christ. He is our sacrifice. He is our lamb. He is our scapegoat. He's our salvation. He's our Sabbath rest. He's our priest. He's our temple. He is our meeting place where God meets with a bunch of sinners. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that Jesus is more than a life hack for us. We confess and enjoy this morning that he is life for us. He is very life itself. Lord, I pray that our pursuits will be more about, um, more than just pursuing something to make life easier, but that we'll be pursuing you through these pages, through these stories, through these realities that all pointed toward these events that pointed toward the person of Christ. Lord, I pray this sermon this morning and next week will very much for us be something that's Christ-centric. that's grounding us of where our feet are planted and where our eyes are pointed in this next year. Lord, work that in us. We're begging for it. Fix our eyes on Christ the author and perfecter of our faith and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.